Welcome to the F-Team podcast. I'm your host, Hayden Van Roo. The F-Team is a fortnightly podcast where we discuss the latest happenings and trends in business technology. In this episode, we're talking about Microsoft's new productivity app, changes to Windows 10 updates, new solutions for better video conferencing, and we unpick one of the internet's biggest outages in recent memory. All right, let me uh, introduce our first guests. Um, let's start with an absolute EUC workhorse uh, and our number one fan on Facebook. We're introducing, of course, the industrious Varun Kapoor. Welcome, mate. Thank you so much, Heron. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, you're obviously uh, a sucker for punishment. Uh, you, we can't keep you away from this podcast, mate. It's, it's good to have you back. Thank you so much. It's always a fun doing this podcast. Fantastic. And making his webinar debut, he's the tallest and the most pranked man in the office. A big F-team welcome to Brandy. Oh my God, Brandy. That's a new one. Brody Hamdorf. Welcome, mate. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I like to think my height is what makes me a target for all the pranks. So they, they go hand in hand. The, the bigger they are, the harder they fall, right? That's it. <laughs> well, it's good to have you on board, mate. Uh, thanks, thanks for making time uh, today. Um, let's get straight into it. These, these uh, podcasts tend to blow out. So let's, uh, let's get straight into it. Um, I have some good news. Uh, not that I'm counting, but we are just shy of 100 days until Christmas. Uh, so, so shortly, <laughs> a certain jolly man will be checking his lists for the first time. Luckily for Father Christmas, Microsoft has released a new app that will mean one list check is all that he'll need. What the heck am I talking about? I'm talking about Microsoft Lists. Um, this was a uh, Microsoft List was released to general availability in August um, and is yet another productivity tool in the Microsoft 365 kit. Uh, Microsoft is calling it a smart information tracking app that allows you to create lists for every team in every situation. Guys, what is Microsoft Lists? So basically, it's it's taken the functionality that was already existing in SharePoint Lists and sort of split it out into its own tool and added extra details in that. Um, <clears throat> it's sort of given it its own you know portal, its own way that you can access it through Teams, its its own identity, so that it's it's not just another feature of SharePoint. It becomes its own tool that can be used for for a lot more in depth sort of list taking ideas, I guess. Um, I've been playing around with it a little bit and it just is very handy for more repeatable actions, I suppose. Um, and just sort of getting, hashing out the sort of uh, tasks for a team that need to be performed individually and sort of keeping it um, succinct and easy to read and as well as tracking as, as you go along and complete it all. Um, as well as having some fancy new UI, which looks pretty. <laughs> nice. What was your take, Varun? Um, like Brody said, it's it's more like an uh, uh, evolution for the SharePoint list online. The features that I like the most, it's, it has inbuilt functionality for all the Power Platforms. So you can make custom Power Apps and custom flows with it. So I think so it's more about the integration. And um, list is basically for tracking if you are doing more of process evolution or process improvement. That's how I see it being used in the industry. Nice. Mm -hmm. Well, for me, like I've, I've started using it with, um, with my team um, and it's actually got some built-in um, standardized um, 
configurations for certain scenarios. Yep. So one of those is for me being in the marketing team, our <laughs> social media publishing. And so it, it actually comes with a default um, uh, inputs that you can put into it. Mm. Um, and we're finding it really useful because um, it, what it allows you to do is um, really have a really clear picture um, of where your processes are at. Um, it integrates really nicely into our uh, marketing channel in, in Teams. Mm. Um, and you can really see the status. And if you need, for us, sometimes um, if it's a fairly important piece of communications, we go back and forth in the team a few times. We have a few iterations and you can actually um, uh, track where that's at a lot easier. So I think mm. for, I think there's going to be a lot of use cases where you need to review um, many processes. Um, they're all the di all the different micro processes that you're running uh, um, at different stages potentially, um, and it really does a nice job of visualizing those. So I think a, a big thing um, that Microsoft has focused on recently is a lot of Microsoft in apps in the past were not very pretty, um, and and when you we, I know especially um, for from a marketing point of view, if an app's not pretty, I'm gonna be less inclined to use it, regardless of how yeah. much functionality is there. So they've done a really good job of making it pretty, making it really intuitive and easy to use. So I think um, you know for me, I'd say if you're a non-technical person, um, it's it's a really useful app for you. Um, check it out. There's lots of different inbuilt customizations to go check out. Um, did you guys know, did you guys, um, are you guys aware of any other particular use cases that are kind of similar to what I just mentioned? Uh, yes. More around the, uh, Brody, you want to go no, for okay. it? <laughs> uh, more around the manufacturing industry, I would say. Uh, so another fantastic thing that Microsoft did was uh, integrated uh, quite uh, good with Microsoft Teams. So you could basically just attach it to your conversation channel. And yep. then the frontline workers can simply open the Microsoft Teams app and just go through all the processes that are happening and then see what's the progress of it or uh, how's the in inventory tracking on it. So I think so that's one of the use cases. Cool. Brody? Mm. <clears throat> yes, I think especially sort of repeatable processes is where it sort of shines, being able to you know get a well-defined process and put it in place so it's not just... Uh, a, a series of, of check marks and um, you know tick boxes. It actually lets you sort of you know as you were saying before, set the status of different steps that are there, reuse it for you know defined processes, things like onboarding for new users, which you know can be a pain when changes keep coming in, new applications are coming in, new fields and contact information, and it keeps sort of changing. So being able to track that in one single location, being able to track every step of the process and try to you just have better visibility over what's happening at each individual step of the process. Yeah. I feel like that's where a lot of like previous like to-do lists and, and checkboxes fall short is it's just, it's either a hundred percent complete or it's not, it, it, it's, hmm. it's very binary in the choice. You don't get the ability to sort of describe individual um, decisions, or individual steps. Whereas here you can, you know, you can assign it to individual people. If you've got a user onboarding and you've got in different, departments for example maybe people don't have access to the uh, different areas to add all their users maybe there's you know different tasks assigned to different people that all correlate uh, to the same process um that's where it really uh, helps just sort of being able to yeah repeat processes for users on different teams and sort of keep better information for each step of the pro of the way i think so that's where the de demarcation is for list and to do and planner like as we discussed, list is more for processes or workflow, whereas to-do and planner, they are designed specifically to manage teams and how they are tracking with the tasks for that specific team. Yeah. 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 Exactly. So I, I feel I like... 
Uh, I'll just jump in here. So I think for me, what I'm hearing is that, you know, we've got, obviously there's a lot of similar, at, on first glance, there's a lot of similar um, applications from Microsoft in this space, right? There's to do, there's Excel, there's Planner. Um, but what I'm hearing is that the, if you've got um, a, a highly repeatable task, has the, you follow the same process end to end each time, then this is really good because you can restrict that down um, and say, here's the thing, here's the steps you have to follow to complete this task. Whereas in Excel or Planner or to do, um, those are, uh, are more flexible. So, um, you know, you can generate the type of task that you need to complete in each individual occasion. Um, and that's, that's the benefit. Is that, is that fair to say, gents? Yeah, I, th I think so. I think a lot of the other tasks, uh, especially to do and, and planner in that order, sort of are very easy for making a quick task um, and, you know, immediately understanding the steps and putting them in and seeing where you're tracking with it. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to things where, you know, this, the steps aren't, as binary to complete where you've actually got a process to do it. Um, you know, it takes time. It's not just a flick of a switch. You want to know where you're at in that progress. You don't just want to know whether it's done or not. You want to have a bit more information in it. So I, I feel like that's, that's where it really sort of shines is where those repeatable processes and being able to put them in, into a more documented way rather than just having a, a list of bullet points in a document or, you know, just even worse in, in Excel, I think it's just <clears throat> gives it a more easy way to display all that information. Nice one. And, is the only place that you can use lists in Teams or can you use it like on a web browser? How does it work? Uh, so we can access lists from uh, the uh, office uh, portal.office.com as well. Mm. So yep. we can uh, use it in the online mode via SharePoint Online. So there are a wide variety of methods for, uh, by which you can access it. Yeah. I would recommend though, if you can whack it into an into a existing uh, team or channel, I think yeah. that works really, really nice. I think that's kind of how it was intended. But yeah, yeah I think that's where it, it sort of picks up a lot of the use as well as having the integration with, with everything else. Varun sort of touched on it before, but the ability to link it to power up. So, you know, when a specific step is completed, it can carry out a task. Say, for example, um, I keep going back to the user onboarding just because that's where I think it's going to be uh, most useful. But like at the very end of it, once all the steps completed, forwarding through the details for them forwarding through to the relevant managers or the relevant teams and just linking it into, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Very good. Yep. Sounds like a pretty useful app. I think, um, I think, uh, have a, my advice to our listeners is, is have a play with it. Um, if your instinct is, um, to put it something into planner and you're finding you're creating yourself that same planner, um, task all the time, then maybe have a look at lists and see if you can, um, standardize that. Cause that, um, is where we're, I think we're all finding the value in it. So very good. Thanks for that, guys. Um, the next topic I wanted to raise um, was around some changes to the to Microsoft updates. So, and Windows 10 updates, I should say. So um, earlier this month, um, uh, Microsoft changed the way um, it delivers updates to the parts of Windows 10 that receive and install files from the Windows update, right? So um, their, their aim here is to... to um, create a new bundling approach will eliminate confusion uh, and streamline OS, uh, the Microsoft, uh, sorry, Windows 10's regular um, refreshes. So up until now, Microsoft had a dis has distributed each service stack update, which is called SSU, um, separately from their cumulative update, which is known as the CU. Right? So the new practice um, will combine the two, so SSU and CU into one package, um, for download and deployment for IT administrators. So I know we were discussing this in preparation for 
uh, for this podcast. Um, so I'm keen to, and I sounded like there were two opposing views on this. So um, Jets, uh, is this a big deal or not? You can take the start, VK, if you like. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll let you start on this and then I'll jump in. <laughs> I, I may be a little bit by, I've never had to do a huge amount of, of patch management other than the sort of devices that I'm directly on. But I, I just, I don't see this being a huge impact. I, I, like if, if you take a look at it, if you split it up into two groups, um, you've got the end users and you've got the sys admins that are going to be managing this. End users, they're not really going to know. You're going to be lucky that they're going to be hitting install or update now anyway. They're not going to look for the updates. If it's, if it's one less line in there, they, they don't care. They, they just hit and install updates. I don't think it's going to make a huge deal in terms of whether the package is, 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 comes in two boxes or one. I think it's going to be the same. For sysadmins that, you know, more, especially ones that are more um, uh, focused on patch management and larger sort of uh, end user management, I feel like it's, it's already part of their job description to understand the patches. It's already their job to understand what's going in each of them. So at the same time, you know, sure, this makes life easier for them, but I just don't see it being as huge of a deal. It's still the same information, just rather than coming under one, rather than coming under two updates, it's, it's coming under, under one, which I just, I, I don't see it as a huge deal. Varun, what's your take? I just have a simple take on this. It's, it's more around the user experience rather than having a long list of updates to download. Even if it's say, it's not an enterprise environment, you are running a personal Windows 10 2004. You still have to download the updates, right? And now with this, it's going to be a, a single uh, all-packed SSU with C, a CU update. And uh, it, it will also help the IT admins for troubleshooting point of view as well. Because earlier for the cumulative update, you are required a specific SSU. And now it's going to be bundled all together. So let's say uh, in the earlier days, if the CU would fail, then you would have to troubleshoot deeper. But now you know that Microsoft is going to release that in a package to that, uh, together and it's probably not going to fail. So I think so. it's, it's better for the IT sys admins as well and for the end users. Very good. And so the key, the key reason here, it sounds like it's a, it's a simplistic, uh, simplifies the process for IT admins. And I guess it uh, removes a point of failure, perhaps. Is, am, I, am I reading that correctly? Yes. Yeah. So it sounds like uh, if you're paying attention to this sort of stuff, then it's a big deal. But for end users, they're probably not going to notice it. Probably one less update, right, is, is, um, is what the end users are going to notice. That's right. Cool. Well, I think, um, I think there's some valuable stuff in there and, and I think it's key to know, especially if you're a, a sysadmin responsible for, for managing and deploying these, these things or, or have um, an upstream provider that's doing it for you. Um, uh, it's important to know that that's a, that's a change. And, and I think um, as an end user, you know, the less updates I have to receive over a course of a month or a couple of weeks, um, the better. So I think that's a, I think that's a positive thing overall. Um, uh, the next thing, um, you know, we talk a lot about teams. We love it. I think there's a lot of um, uh, effort, obviously, being put into into teams. So we're going to have something to talk about every every week. Um, we're really big teams users. Um, uh, one of the things um, that has uh, been there's a couple of key things I want to bring out. They're pretty small little tweaks, but I think they're quite noticeable. Um, so the first one I wanted to to bring up um, was the um, I think you guys have probably found yourself in this situation a few times. Um, you, you're you you've got a thread open in teams. Um, it's quite a, uh, maybe there's a pretty significant thing happening. Um, uh, maybe there's some downtime being experienced. 
by a customer or there's um, a, a pretty big challenge that we need to solve right now. And so there's a lots of lots of chatter and, and you're jumping into teams and you're um, giving people updates and you're moving out of teams and, and doing the updates yourself and then jumping back in. And then you accidentally start a whole new thread because the chat window um, to start a new thread is more obviously placed than the, um, than the new thread um, conversation. So um, there's a new conversation button that aims to solve this. Um, uh, so guys, just give us a quick overview of, of what this is and where the guys can find it and what the impact is of this new I think conversation. It, it, it's, it's clear to see that this isn't an issue that only plagued the fast track organization. <laughs> uh, there's been countless times where new users and old and, and everyone in between would go to reply to a thread and, and start a whole new thread and be shamed to death with a mirage of, of ridiculing uh, and gifts. gifts. <laughs> so it, it, it's, it's, it's such a simple change. I, I just love that they put it in. Like it was clearly, it wasn't a huge deal. You'd edit the post, you'd click the dot, um, but it's just enough to reduce some of that spam coming in. So I think it's just a huge change. It's just a button down there, which it differentiates between whether you're making a new uh, post in a team or whether you're just replying to something else. So, so what I think... So what they've done, right, is they've, they've, they're, instead of having a chat window in the thread, the bottom of the thread, and directly below that, another um, chat thread starting um, box, they've removed the new, the new conversation um, chat window and replaced it with a button. So you have to click the button in order to, to open up the uh, new conversation window. Um, and that, I think, is going to make a huge... Uh, impact on the amount of times where you accidentally start a new thread instead of replying to a conversation. I just wanted to put that. I actually added this in yesterday, uh, like um, earlier today, mm. because I just thought, hallelujah, what a simple change, but it's, it's such a be- huge quality of life change. I love it. I think so this, 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 this should have been done when Teams was initially launched. Like this is such a simplistic change and a UI thing to do. And I think so this, this should have been done when they launched it. Like the amount of times we make human error starting a new thread where we should be replying to the another thread. It's just insane. I think this is an interesting thing I noticed with, with Microsoft is, especially with Teams product, there's lots of stuff going on. And sometimes there's really simple changes that just kind of get ignored for so long. Um, mm. And this is one of those times where they've finally gone, you know what, this is an important change we need to make and prioritize it. So I, I, I'm just really excited about it. I wanted to throw that one in. <laughs> um, next, the next thing is a pretty simple one. So, um, I believe in uh, in Teams, and correct me if I'm wrong here, guys. But you've been able to, if you're in a, a Teams meeting, um, you uh, on your personal on your um, PC um, or your um, mobile device, um, you can spotlight the person who's talking or spotlight a, p- a particular person in in the chat, right? But that you haven't been able to do that in a Teams room. But I believe now it's possible. Is that on on a Teams room system? Is that um, have I got that right, guys? Yeah, basically. And I think it's just a nice handy tool as, you know, people start going back to the offices, but work from home is still uh, staying uh, relevant. It's just, again, another quality of life improvement to have. It's it's not infrequent for there to be a single speaker in in the meeting or, you know, if it's a CEO presentation, if it's it's a teacher uh, having a class of students using Teams as well, it's just you're not always going to need to see everyone on there. It's just a big quality of life to finally move this across to, to teams rooms, I guess. Nice one. Yeah. I think um, the, I think uh, for, for whatever reason, it seems that teams room systems, teams 
that tend to lag a little bit behind the the I guess the general availability of the um, of the PC and mobile apps. But um, it's good to see that it's it's been if you if you're waiting on a feature, um, you know history says that. It's, it's coming. It just takes traditionally a little bit longer for it to come. So you just got to wait um, for the nine, to, nine uh, users, nine videos in Teams rooms, which is still lagging behind. <laughs> yes. Um, we're all f- fingers crossed. We've been really <laughs> excited for them to bring that. And I, I, I'm not sure if there's any, any word on when that's coming, but um, I think we're safe to say it's, it is coming. It's just a matter of time. The next thing I wanted to raise uh, was... Um, some security things that we've been noticing in the market lately. Um, so uh, particularly over the last few months, um, there's been a few data breaches um, uh, across uh, different organizations within the New South Wales government. Um, so back in April, actually, uh, Service New South Wales um, was hit by a pretty successful email phishing scam. Um, and the result of that, it gave hackers access to 738 gigabytes of confidential files affecting um, approximately uh, 186,000 customers. So a pretty pretty big um, attack, uh, pretty successful in terms of what the hackers actually got access to. So I'm keen to hear from you guys, you know, a bit more insight into actually what happened and how they successfully, um, uh, you know, um, attacked uh, Service New South Wales, what they do, how do they do it? Mm. So a lot of the reports have still been pretty light on the exact details, obviously not giving out the exact uh, cause of the breach is probably a smart idea to prevent uh, future attacks. But the, the, for the most part, it's it's <clears throat> been confirmed to be a, a phishing, uh, a successful phishing scam, which which has obviously sent through a link to the 47 users. They've gone ahead and clicked on it, thinking it was a legitimate link and either entered in their credentials or sent through additional information that they probably shouldn't have. Um, and this is, is collected up to a pretty substantial uh, uh, data loss in total. Um, I, th- I think uh, one of the primary concerns from that I saw was that it, there was such a delay in the uh, in informing the users who had been uh, who had been impacted by this. It, it's it's still going on actually. Um, they're still in the process of of sending out registered posts to all the users that were impacted uh, by it and making sure that everyone knows about it. So I think it's just. Um, a, a little bit scary that it's still taking so long just to know that your information has, has been has been breached, um, mm. especially with such sensitive information. I mean, I, I don't know if you guys saw, but a lot of the information was was scanned scanned photographs of you know back and front of driver's license, which has you know, full name, full address. Like, there's there's a lot of information on there that I probably wouldn't want many people knowing even at work, let alone other people. <laughs> it's primary identification information, which is pretty scary. Yeah, exactly right. And, and especially with, uh, you know, the ease of, or with the amount of, of social presence that everyone has, it's it, identity theft, especially through, um, you know, breaches in cybersecurity is becoming all more real and all more common. And it's, it's, it's scary that such a, uh, uh, you know, an easy, um, or such a simple measure of, of our driver's license is, is going, you know, public essentially. <laughs> It's pretty scary, and I think the reason why we we raise these these breaches uh, on time to time on these podcasts is is that um, it's easy to say, oh, you know, it won't happen to us as a business, but we need to really look at 
how attackers are, are gating access uh, initially um, and keep reminding ourselves of the of the most recent and most uh, common attack vectors so we can protect against them, right? So obviously this sounds like it was a possibly a, a fairly targeted attack, but I'm keen to hear um, your opinion, guys, on and if you're an organization that worried that this something like this could happen to you, what are the basic steps you can put in place um, from a cybersecurity uh, perspective to pretend, prevent against t- attacks like this? I think so to start with, uh, the basic thing would be to have multi-factor authentication in place. Like the funny thing is in 2019, Service New South Wales were actually made aware that they have a big loophole in their security measures and still they did not take any steps. So I think so to start with uh, basic security would be to implement multi-factor authentication because that kind of adds two layers of security on when you are authenticating and signing into your Office 365 or whatever service it is. I, th- I feel um, like that's that's almost going to be just a requirement for, for yeah. everything nowadays. It's it's still, I still find services every now and then, websites or, or uh, other services that just don't even offer it as a feature or, or don't have it required. But I feel like it's just... It's 2020. It's, it's got to become just the, the standard, you know, something, you know, something you have, something you are, it's just got to put in more, more factors. Is it a matter of, um, is there anything else? I mean, this is, you know, we've been talking about cybersecurity for many years now. And um, that's the, that's the thing that we always go back to. NFA protects against a lot of scenarios. Is there anything else that you'd be recommending? Uh, there are a lot of advanced uh, features that uh, Microsoft, uh, has on offerings. Uh, one of them would be uh, data loss prevention policies, where you can actually tag the documents with uh, confidential or what, what, what kind of sensitivity it has for your organization. So that could basically help with your uh, data loss or uh, stuff like that. Mm, there's still as well more features. I, I know like you've got the advanced threat protection, which is sort of you know, introducing the safe links and uh, uh, safe attachments and um, the, the protection from impersonation and things like that. There's a lot of features in there that you know make it a lot more difficult for these attacks to come through. Um, <clears throat> and they're not all that difficult to, to roll out. In most cases, it takes a couple of minutes to configure the policy for an ATP rule or anti-phishing, anti-spam. Um, and it's just a matter of, of monitoring it. So there's no short of uh, features to prevent it from coming in as well. But I feel like no matter how many, you know, how many walls you put up, there's always going to be something that can get through. So there's also definitely a step in terms of strategy and, and uh you know, personal responsibility when it comes down to things like this. Um, one of them just being, you know, a more aware, like uh, a more aware, um, more awareness for end users on just good security practices. I know for us, it's it's pretty common knowledge to double check a sender before you know a link comes in. But I feel like that's just going to be basics now. Just just as if you know, knowing Microsoft Word and PowerPoint is is a basic for ninety percent of of jobs, if not more. I feel like basic cybersecurity practice should should be in that space. Definitely. I think so. Brody uh, made a quite uh, good point here for the awareness of end users. I think so. The enterprises should now focus more on end user training as well for what are the best cybersecurity practices, what not to click and what to do in case of if you get an email which looks like a bit of fishy. I know attackers these days are getting a lot of better in terms of how they send the phishing emails and how they are designed. But I think so still uh, cybersecurity training, training programs for end users would help a lot, you know, in kind of uh, avoiding these events happening in future. Absolutely. Definitely. Yeah. I think, um, you know, we, we did a workshop um, 
earlier this year, which feels like a lifetime ago now, but um, <laughs> talking about all of this stuff, right? So um, we'll put a link in the, um, in the, in the description of this podcast um, that links to that. Uh, there's, it, it's often with this sort of stuff, you know, we say, okay, MFA, Office 365 ATP, but there's, you know, it really depends on, on your risk profile. So um, we've, we've did a lot of work earlier in the year, um, uh, basically giving you a step-by-step guide around how to assess um, your security posture and how to um, figure out where to prioritize um, putting in those cybersecurity measures. Um, so check out that that blog. Um, there's a lot of video, a lot of a lot of content we've produced. Um, uh, there's a blog post as well that summarizes it too. So we'll put a link to that. Um, let us know what you think. If you've got any questions? Just reach out to us. Um, but yeah, thanks for for sharing, guys. I think that was a, a really useful thing. We keep. I think it's really worth keeping on top of all of this stuff. Um, and you know, reminding ourselves that you know these these attacks aren't theoretical. They're often very targeted um you know we've seen attacks like of this nature that um are uh targeted at um uh, you know large enterprises but also we've seen uh attacks that are very targeted at, at small and medium-sized businesses too so mm. it's, regardless of what size you are you need to be thinking about this sort of stuff yeah. and and on that note as well sorry i think um a big thing as well is is the sort of response time to this sort of things a lot of the times you find it's more of a reactive response even in this case service now came out and saying that you know after this there's there's a large acceleration for their cybersecurity plans and, and modernization of their um older sort of business processes but ideally this should be happening beforehand it, it's all well and good to you know look at a, a hole and, and patch it up afterwards but you should be searching these out actively you should be you know increasing on it actively rather than waiting for something to get through waiting to be the last in the pack and, and hunted down. You should be, you know, ensuring that you're, you're upfront and on top of all these things. And I feel like that's another direction in terms of strategy is, is you considering cybersecurity as, as a basic required business process, just like anything else is, it should be considered at, at all times. It should always be actively worked on. It's never, never finished. You're always improving on it. I feel like that's, that's a huge thing to keep moving forward. I'm really excited to introduce our next two presenters. Uh, let's start with our, our first-time presenter and I'm assuming a long-time listener, uh, Nikki McClintock. Welcome to your first ever F-Team podcast, Nikki. Hello. And yes, I am a long-time listener. I've been um, with the podcast right from the beginning. Oh, there you go. It was way, way uh, back. Yeah, yeah. So many episodes, many, many yep. episodes. So it's great to have you here, Nikki. It's um, really Thank keen you. to get your insight on a, on a few things we're going to be talking about today. And, um, and uh, back again uh, for the third consecutive podcast, uh, The Aviator. Uh, Yoni Kirsch, welcome. Thank you, mate. It's catching on. Right, it is catching on. <laughs> if you just keep saying it, it'll have caught on. Yeah, that's, my, that's pretty much my strategy for everything. Um, <laughs> uh, it's good to have you back. Um, it's good to be back. Uh, given that's your first podcast, Nikki, uh, became, uh, you've been building yourself a bit of an empire at Fast Track. And I think um, a lot of the work you do is behind the scenes. Um, so not all of our customer, customers and listeners would know what you do. So what, I'm keen to, to get you to share a little bit about what you do at Fast Track. Yeah, sure. I feel like you set pretty high expectations there of an empire. Um, so I'll try that's and meet fine. them, but not really sure if I will. Um, so yeah, so I've been with Fast Track for almost two years now. Um, so I'm the team leader for service operations team. So there's five of us in that team at the moment. Hence um, the empire. Sorry? 
Hence the empire. Yeah. Okay. Oh, is that what you mean by people? Yeah. yeah. Small army. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we look after a lot of the operational side from the services. Um, so accounts, service delivery, colo space, um, data center operations, miscellaneous things. Um, but one of the biggest things that we look after is hardware. Mm. So that was one of the reasons why I was really keen to get you on. Um, uh, and I think um, the cool thing about hardware is that the situation we find ourselves in uh, in the world right now um, is going has really put a spotlight, obviously, on um, uh, video conferencing and, and being able to kind of bridge that gap between, you know, your workers at home and your workers in the office. Oh, that's a leap. That's no. a leap. The momentum was there before. <laughs> Come on. Uh, just, it's, a very, it's been brought to the spotlight, I think. Yeah. Think. But it's always definitely been a demand for it there. Yeah. It's fortuitous that yes. it was already on the up. Yes. Well, I just wanted a really lazy segue, so mission <laughs> accomplished. Um, <laughs> Ruined his punchline. <laughs> um, so one of the things we've noticed um, in the video conferencing space of late, well, like for the last little while, I think it's been a problem that's been around for a long time, is that, you know, a lot of customers, um, you know, have decided on a particular software prov- um, provider that they, they want to use for their video conferencing solution, right? They go, whether sure. it's Teams, Zoom, mm-hmm. all, all of the many, many different platforms, they choose one because it's easy, right? To have one platform to manage, one platform mm-hmm. to, um, to, to, to train users on, all that sort of stuff. So great, you've made the great decision. You've, you've, you've finally picked one. And then you're like, you know what? There's some really good hardware that is really works really well for our video conferencing solution that will work really nicely with that software. So that now our video conferencing um, and our uh, meeting uh, meeting experience and, and maybe even our telephoning experience is all using the same platform. Woohoo! So 95% of your meetings um, now are on the same platforms. You've gone and you've bought the hardware that, that supports the video conferencing. Um, mm-hmm. But then you go to host a meeting with um, uh, someone outside your organization and, and um, uh, you find that, oh, they don't use the same platform. They don't use Teams. They don't use Zoom. They use some obscure platform. Now you've got a problem around your video conference system. Call that Google Meet, by the way. Google Meet, yes. Go to meetings. Go to meeting, blue jeans, whatever it is. Um, and uh, yeah, you go to host that meeting and, and your, your video conference is essentially a brick. Um, mm-hmm. it, 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 it's, you know, depending on how you've set it up. So um, there are quite a few solutions to this problem. Um, and uh, we've found that they have varying levels of success. And I'm keen to just to get your thoughts mm-hmm. on, on this, Nikki and, and Yoni. What are, the, what are the different solutions we're seeing in the market for, for this, um, this challenge? Sure. A uh, few different options. Um, first one is probably people just setting up multiple rooms with different meeting room software. Yeah, that um, Other than like we do that for demo purposes. Um, <laughs> it's something you can do, right? It, yeah. it is something you can do. So if you've got a suite of meeting rooms, you might say like 80% we're going to set up with Microsoft Teams, but let's have a couple of rooms. We're going to set up with Zoom because the CEO only likes to use that or we have a lot of customers that use that particular system. And it it is an option. Um, it can be expensive depending on how you approach it. But most of all, it's just a lot of management. So... Um, 
if you've got a meeting and you know it's going to be Zoom, you've got to sit there and go, oh, hang on, which room do I want to book that's Zoom? And you accidentally book a Teams room and you get there and then you realise it's the wrong meeting room and, yeah, that could cause all kinds of frustration and organisational issues. Or if you set up like a combo room, someone have to physically go and unplug the hardware um, yeah. you know, and plug it into the other device. And that itself can cause issues if it's, if it's not. Yeah. If you've got a user that's not familiar with the cabling on uh, that, they might unplug it and plug it back into the wrong port or something. Yeah. And then, well, and, and then got... definitely they won't plug it back in when they're done. So the next person walks in and is like. Yeah. Like, the solution to these rooms is you want to walk in, sit down and push a button and be ready to go because you don't ident- identify any issues with the room until you go to have a meeting. Mm. That's, you know, usually when it comes up. So you don't want to get there and somebody, the person before you is not plugged back in. So it, it's a solution, but it's not a great one. And the other, the, other, headaches. the other consideration too is that it's more for your IT team to have to manage, right? So yeah. Um, you know, multiple applications, multiple pieces of hardware potentially that you're having to manage. Yeah, room um, accounts, each yeah. account yeah. you need to set up. Yeah, it's just the organisation and management of it. I mean, taking a step back from that solution, I think probably the simplest thing that, that we see people do is just use their laptops. And then and then they do that and they compromise the experience, right? Because now you've got a, you know, $20,000 room system sitting next door that's useless and then somebody's like you know using their 720 camera on their looking up their nose from their xps Mm. whatever even worse when you've got a group of people sitting around a laptop oh yeah yeah and then the microphone can't deal with the multiple voices volumes and yeah 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 Yeah, not a great it's a bad time it's a real bad Mm. time yeah what what are the other solutions um that you could you could use that don't involve setting up multiple room systems yeah so you crawl under the desk and you rip the usb cable out of the bottom of your camera and your room system and you plug it into your laptop then refer back to problem number one problem a yeah (laughs) all the calls to your it department yeah uh if solutions in terms of using the same video conferencing hardware um so there are third-party interop companies that are basically like a third party that manages the systems talking together. So BlueJeans, Pexip, for example, um, some of those options. Microsoft. <clears throat> Microsoft. <laughs> uh, so the issue faced with some of those um, systems is the features are reduced, so you're not getting the full functionality. You know, some of the things that we love about using the Logitech room systems, for example, you're going to lose some of those um, cool functions. And it's um, not only just the the core functions of the hardware, right? It's the core functions of the software too. True. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So right. like so you, you using know, Teams room systems, for example. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah we were talking about you know um, team uh, Teams new uh, features in in Teams room systems, um, mm-hmm. and and like things like Spotlight Video and all that sort of stuff. You, you're going to lose. It, you know, when you're using these interop systems, you're going to mm-hmm. lose that core functionality um, and mm-hmm. you're really uh, limited to what that third-party provider can integrate with. Their capability. Yeah, which is going to be different with each of them. But, I mean, like people are paying good money for good systems and if you're not getting the full functions for the money that you're paying for it, then it just seems a little bit pointless. Um, 
yeah, you also back to that point of managing multiple software accounts um, as well. You know, if you you need somebody who can manage that third party application as yep. well as setting up an account for it, um, IT so support for it, um, all those things. So that issue doesn't go away with this solution either. Yep. Um, and there's the additional costs because it's another application, another program. Yeah, totally. There's a lot of downstream um, impacts for both of those those options you mentioned. And then there's, yeah. there's also... And then user functionality as well. Like some users aren't going to know how to use it. They want to yeah. walk in and just know it's going to be an easy solution. And that's why you choose a, a, a platform that aligns with your you know, the, the, the collaboration suite that your users are using every day so that whether they are in a meeting on their laptop at home or come in and use it, you know, the, the experience is as, as, as similar as possible, right? Yeah. If you yeah. can use Zoom on your laptop or if you can push a button on a screen, you can use these systems. Yeah. 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 And, the, and the last one that Yoni sort of and, and yourself touched on was um, – you know, creating a BYOD meeting solution. Mm -hmm. So having yeah. multiple cables and stuff, right? Yeah, exactly right. So you've got multiple cables. Um, every device might be different as well in terms of what cables you need. So, you know, each laptop, you know, has different ports. Mm. Um, each sort of part of your VC equipment is going to have different cables. They might not be compatible. There's cables running everywhere. It's... Mm. Um, a nightmare if you are a big fan of cable management mm. as well. Um, you need to make sure that, yeah, that you're coming in with that device and it's going to be compatible. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I think uh, trying to cater for all of those different solutions um, simply with, you know, having all the different cable options is probably not the, the nicest solution. So, um, mm. and so... The kind of prompt of this discussion was that, you know, we know we, it's no secret we're a huge fan of the Logitech um, room systems, um, you know, particularly mm -hmm. because we're obviously big Teams users, but there's also um, some really good solutions for some of the other providers like uh, Zoom and and, meet, and Google Meetups as well. Um, yep. uh, meet, 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 meet. Just meet. Meet. Yeah, meet. I keep wanting to add an app <laughs> there. there. Um, but, um, but, yeah, so we're big That's fans. That's a Logitech product. Yeah, and so yeah we make no secret that we're big fans of logitech and they have invented a, a new solution that's um a bit different to all of these and we think probably uh, i i've had a quick look at it and it seems to be a much simpler uh, more user-friendly um solution um so uh nikki why don't you tell us a little bit about the the switch or is it the swatch the switch with a y yeah. I'm still deciding which one I want to go with. If it's a switch or a switch with a Y, I've been pitched both by Logitech. Um, working it's on it. Switch with so, a Y. Yeah. So the background, as far as I know, is so basically a switch spelt with a Y. The cable is in the shape of a Y, the adapter on it. And I think that's where it comes from. So um, marketing team spent days, I'm sure, in a boardroom coming up with that name. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, the switch... Uh, it's basically a single cable solution uh, to all the problems that we've already spoke about. Um, so the pitch is single cable solution that you can join any meeting any on any platform in any room. Um, note that the room obviously must have the video conferencing equipment in them. Um, but the idea is walk in, plug and play. Right. And so how does, how does it work in practice? 
uh, plug and play. So once it's all set up, uh, you walk in, there's a cable sitting available. It's bright purple, so you can't miss it sitting on the table. Um, comes with a USB-C or a USB-C, uh, USB-A adapter. Uh, so you can just plug in and then essentially your laptop uh, connects to the video conferencing system. Yeah. Um, you've now got control over the microphone, the speakers, the camera, the displays, um, and then your laptop basically runs that meeting. So if you've got the Zoom uh, on your laptop, it's good to go. Yeah. And so, um, you know, uh, what are the key kind of, you mentioned the USB-A and USB-C. Mm-hmm. Are there yep. any other um, kind of key technical specifications worth mentioning on this one? Um, not really. I mean, you just need to have USB-C. I think it's cool that it's got the USB-C. One of the functions that actually does do is while you're plugged in with USB-C is it charges your laptop as well, which is pretty cool. Mm. So you can just have that meeting running, not worrying about plugging into power, bringing those extra cables. Um, So that's pretty cool. Uh, And also there's a few devices out there like Mac devices, uh, which it means there's more compatibility with as well. Um, But yeah, other than that, just having your video conferencing software yeah. Hey, Nikki. So um, uh, I have intentionally stayed away from this, looking at this product, because I've been looking mm-hmm. forward to you coming on the podcast for uh, <clears throat> some weeks now. And mm-hmm. um, I, was, I was hoping for you to run me through it. I, I literally have just opened the Logitech Swatch web page for the first time ever. I'm looking at this thing now for the first time. I've intentionally not touched it. How was um, my purple Y-shaped adapter description? Pretty accurate. And, you know, can I just say, as someone um, who has both a personal name and a business name that constantly gets either mispronounced or misspelt, it's like, what are you doing, Logitech? <laughs> like, <laughs> like I said, I'm blaming the marketing team. <laughs> yeah. Not ours, Logitech's I'm, not I'm with you on that. Should I watch this video? I don't know Later. what's going to happen to the sound if I do. Okay, join a meeting from every room. You've deployed the perfect video conference rooms. The calendar integration and touch control, internal meetings start from the tech. Okay. Sounds like a video game voice. Yeah. Yeah. The marketing voice. Yeah. Now people are asking how to use these rooms. It's probably pretty boring for everybody else. Um, Especially those who have already watched so, it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So like the only, the key thing that I, I took out of it is that, you know, in terms of supporting something like this, the the simplicity is that the only real software requirement to consider to make this thing work is making sure that you have display link drivers on the, on your hardware. So yeah. in terms of hardware compatibility for your laptop, yeah. And so you literally have this, you have your investment in, for us, it's the, you know, Logitech uh, meetup rally, uh, speaker uh, combo um, mm-hmm. and we need to use Zoom. We connect the switch. Uh, it you, I think there's some uh, nice cable management wrapped up in there. Yeah, it's like um, a retractable kind of, so it coils up under the table so it's nice and neat and just sits in a little adapter on the table. Great. And yeah, slightly retractable. So yeah, you can pull it out, plug it in. It's pretty, so, pretty tidy. So, so this is Nikki. This is sold separately to the room system. So you correct is an add-on. Yep, optional extra. You can add on. But so you must have. Do you, can you use it just with a meetup or a rally, or do you need a tap system with it? It it goes with the system. Um, so it's actually got hubs that sit behind it. So it, right, it is pitched as a one cable solution. 
from a user perspective, yeah, but there is a hub in the background that connects to the meeting computer Got that it. works all the magic and swatch makes everything extender, talk to each other. extender, swatch hub. Yeah, yeah exactly. I think, yeah, the cable, the extender and the hub. So it all plays together in the background with the existing uh, room system uh, bundles that you would right. get. But it's the room system bundle, not just a meetup. Correct. So you have to have the room system bundle and then it's an add-on for that. It's an add-on, yeah. Cool. All right. So it's perfect for the people that have already gone through and bought the room system bundles with the tap and all those components that, yeah. you know, we've had a few customers already raise it that they've come across this issue a couple of times. So yep. they can go and purchase it as a standalone item after the fact. You don't have to purchase it with the bundle. With the system. That's cool. Correct. Yeah. That, that would be a bit of a kicking their guts mm, yeah there's a I really nice but there's a really nice diagram um uh which we'll post in the um in the description a link to it where they show you how it all cable. works there's, there's a few components yeah. And, yeah, it's like yeah. an x-ray but, cable diagram yeah um that will explain it a bit easier but but ultimately mm -hmm. right it's it's the it's the capacity to um for a low low it management really and easy end user experience mm -hmm. connect your really you know um, fancy, you know, uh, video conferencing system to your laptop and and get still get a really good experience out of it without, um, you know, uh, essentially breaking the standard room experience. So it's not you don't have to ever um, uh, plug something out that needs to be plugged back in. It's either it's either using the the Logitech switch by itself, right? Yep. And if you yep. unplug it, it goes back to the standard configuration. Yeah. Which is um, like one of the biggest points is mm. you're not going to lose or have any confusion. Uh, once you unplug it, mm. it just returns to its original state. Yeah. You don't have to reset the device or anything like that. Push any buttons. It's literally plug in. I'm on the switch now. Unplug. I'm back to my original room system. And so when you're on the switch, it's, it, it's basically giving you the camera and the microphone and the speakers and everything along with your display being put up on the screen. So you're using the desktop version of whatever video conferencing system you're using. Correct. Yeah. Which, which, which obviously will mean that the person has to have their laptop there to operate the meeting. You won't have access to the tap. Correct. Just the tap is basically the only thing that you don't have function of because you're running the meeting off your laptop. That makes sense. Device. Yeah. There's a couple of really cool things in this. First of all, USB A and USB C. Cool. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, display link. Um, eh, bit of a finicky driver. However, I'm pretty sure they're only using it for the USB A port because you need display link in order to get video output mm -hmm. over us like hdmi over usb a whereas yeah. usb c has it built in natively so maybe they're not using it for that i'd certainly recommend using the usb c option if if, if you've got, got it, it. Mm. um but the other cool thing usb c with power delivery so i wonder how much power oh 60 watts how about that that's cool yeah, so there's a the part i think it's called the extender the part that goes under the table is where the yes. power supply is uh oh right yes got it okay and that's got all the many powers 60 watts will charge basically anything um yep. yeah and that's pretty nice and the last thing i really like is that they've got that extender running via presumably cat 6 extension like the rally hub does mm -hmm. um which is really important like almost every nikki you'd know almost every meeting room we go to set up 
has an existing Cat 6 run to the, the table. to the table. Or in like but, a floor channel or something, yeah. Yeah, and the floor channels are hit and miss as to whether you can get into them and whether they mm-hmm. go to the right place. Um, and so having that ability to extend using existing Cat 6 cable back around is super handy. Yeah, agree. Cool. And is it uh, available in Australia yet? Not yet. It's coming very, very soon. Um, so the latest I've heard is it's expecting to come into Australia in the next few weeks. Cool. Um, no confirmation on a date or anything yet. That's just the expected date. Um, but yeah, you should definitely see something pretty soon for that. Great. Stock levels? That's, I think that's the hold up. That's the hold up <laughs> <laughs> with releases, just trying to get stock available and into the country. Do we know how much it costs yet, Nick? Not yet, no. Not yet. Uh, I'm trying to get to the bottom of that. I'm not sure of the range where it sits just yet. Mm, cool so I, think the- I, I feel like it's going to be super popular. Mm. Yeah, it's still definitely going to be cheaper than some of the other options we ran through. Um, but I just don't you don't have to keep paying it. afterwards every month. Yeah. It's a one-off. Yeah, exactly. There's no subscription. There's no management of it. it it's all in as part of the room system. Mm. And, and it feels to me fairly future-proof, right? Like the 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 the, the challenges, right? Like that you know you are, you're using the desktop application, so you, you're not beholden to a software developer to you know continuously integrate and bring those things across. You know, um, it's it's less likely to break because there's less um, people in the, involved in the process. Um, you're maintaining the the ease of use of your existing system. Like it just seems like a really good thing, and I think there's going to be a lot of interest in this once we once we can actually get our hands on it in Australia. So I think the message is um, we'll keep you posted, and as soon as it becomes available, I'm, I'm sure there'll be a lot of interest um, on yeah. this one. And, and if you're experiencing these things, I'd say don't go. And then you've got a Logitech. Um, device don't go out and um, uh, look at multiple rooms or the interop guys or, or something like that hold off if you can um, because there's a very simple easy to deploy solution that's built for you know your existing meeting room system I think if you I think if you predominantly use one system that's right Hados yeah. if you know if you're a consultant who's constantly required to join other people's meetings on whatever platform they're using yeah. then you know maybe um maybe a uh, an, an interrupt solution makes more sense to you yeah. if you don't have one dominant system yeah okay because you know like I, I i really appreciate the meeting room experience i walk into the room i don't have to have my laptop with me i sit down that comes up on the screen it's in the calendar i click join finished right whether it's zoom or teams or whatever yeah um uh you know, like that, that's a good experience. And if you go, if you're constantly switching between them and you're using the swipe more than the native room system that you've bought, then I feel like that might be a bit of a, um, a, a slightly second class mm. solution. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That There's no sense. good answer. Yeah. I think you get to look at your own requirements. Yeah. You know, for us, it makes sense. We've got teams split you know, probably fairly equally across Melbourne and Sydney and we're constantly using it. So it makes sense. But as you say, if you've, yeah, if you've got, um, if you're doing most of your meetings with people external, then it might not be quite right, but yeah, uh, worth considering. The, the, um, the, the, the devil will be in the details like with this one, I think like a lot of things. Um, 
that's a lot of bandwidth to run HD audio, HD video um, uh, in into this thing. Yeah. Um, or uh, into your laptop from the swatch and then output 4K video back out through the system. Also keep in mind, it's now got to go through the computer in the meeting room computer and then out to your monitor. There's lots of moving parts in that. I'll be very interested to see from a technical point of view how well it holds up. Yeah, so, yeah maybe definitely we need interested to... in getting a demo for us yeah. to have a look at and yeah. Yeah, get a better we'll... idea of the experience. We'll, we'll, we'll want to put it through its paces. That I've, that display link logo is the thing giving me shivers at the moment. Well, <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, we'll have to we'll 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 keep you in touch. Uh, we'll keep in touch with um, on how that goes, and um, yeah, maybe we can come back and do a full review um, sure, sure. in a couple of weeks, and and, and maybe see. maybe maybe Nikki can join the the podcast from the swipe teams. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that'd be good. That'd be good. Um, final thoughts? Yeah. I think we've covered it. Yeah, I think that was the final thought. I agree. It's, yeah, case by case. But, yeah, definitely if you've got a dominant uh, meeting room platform that you like to use, it's just that one person or that one customer that might come up. It's definitely worth considering. My next guest is an absolute glutton for punishment and he just keeps finding excuses to come on the podcast. Welcome back to the F team, Bilal. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, thanks for, for being on time yet again. Wink, wink. Well, the three ain't bad. <laughs> no, we appreciate you making the time. Very good. Um, so the reason why I wanted to get you on, uh, Bilal, is that um, late last month, um, we, the internet, experienced one of the greatest disruptions in recent memory. So on the 30th of, of August, um, CenturyLink, which is an American ISP and internet bandwidth provider, um, literally broke the internet and brought down some of the, of, um, the biggest technology companies in the world, uh, including Amazon, Cloudflare, Twitter, Xbox Live, Stream. There's literally that hundreds of, yep. of organizations were affected by this, right? Um, so how does, like, what happened? How, how does um, uh, a, a, an organiza- one organization have such a big impact on so many organizations across the world? Well, first of all, CenturyLink is a tier one provider. So it is one of the major players in the US market. Uh, especially the way that the internet is set up, like everything is interconnected. So suppose you have an internet connection and you have multiple upstream providers. CenturyLink might be one of them. But the, your smaller providers that you're buying internet off, they might actually be backhauling their traffic via CenturyLink in the back end. So from this end, you might be thinking, okay, so we have redundancy, but they might be going down the same path at the other end. And even if like, we've had ISPs, obviously, with issues, but none as bad as this in recent memory, just because how unique the situation was in this case. Like, so this wasn't something just going offline. This was like, went offline and make sure everything else also went offline. <laughs> so what, what was the underlying problem that, that really stuffed up CenturyLink here? Ah, but the interesting thing is it's probably just one person just putting in an incorrect command somewhere. So basically, the root cause of the situation was an incorrect configuration for uh, BGP flow spec. 
Now, a lot of people will be wondering, like, what is BGP flow spec? So BGP is like one of the core dynamic routing protocols. Uh, the public internet essentially relies on it. Uh, flow spec is essentially an addition to that protocol. This is basically designed to uh, basically act as a counter, basically to counteract DDoS attacks. So let's just go back a little, a little while. So before flow spec, we used to have this thing called remote black holes. So if you're getting a DDoS attack from somewhere else, like the most you could do is either black hole all the traffic coming from a specific source or black hole all traffic going to a specific destination. These are very like heavy handed approaches. So there's like, it's either zero or a hundred. Either traffic is coming in or it's just going into this black hole and never coming out. Flow spec is a dynamic, basically, you could think of this like ACL or firewall rules for the BGP session. And it looks into far more details, so into, into the data flows. So it looks at source, destination, what protocol, what port, uh, what are the, tra uh, the traffic bandwidths, the net flow. And depending upon that, it can see what the offending uh, uh, services and block that and then pass it on to the network, like block this. Now, pretty great solution. It uh, solves a major issue. But in this case, uh, someone made a mistake at CenturyLink and set up an incorrect rule. We don't know what the rule is, but because it affected other providers, we know what the effect was. So basically it told their devices to shut down essentially, like drop all traffic incoming and outgoing, but still the sessions were up and it, it was a very vicious loop. Uh, so basically this device would send rules to the other ones like block all traffic. Once your traffic all would block, those devices would go down the BGP rule, because it's dynamic, it will go out of their uh, uh, cache. Those devices will come back up, they learn that rule again, go down again, come back up, infinite loop. <laughs> so it wasn't like you could try and fix one, but it was like you couldn't jump onto a device because they were just going up and down, up and down, up and down. And for other providers as well, because this, like, if I'm connecting to CenturyLink, so if it's something down, I know I can move it to another provider, but it's just like constantly flapping, coming up and down, coming up and down, which caused the issues. Uh, there's another thing as well, uh, probably going into a bit too, more, too much detail, uh, but uh, with, the, with the way the internet works, to have incoming traffic, you advertise your IP prefixes to the internet. Like, hey, I'm here, send traffic down to uh, this particular vendor, right? The issue with them was they were still advertising the prefixes out, but they couldn't pass the traffic on. So say, for example, uh, Cloudflare, one of the larger organizations which was affected. Now, most people use Cloudflare for their DNS, 1.1.1.1 was like the standard. Like I use it, I tell anyone else like, use open source DNS, don't go for the other ones. So their prefixes are still being advertised by CenturyLink. So traffic would go into CenturyLink and then the, into a black hole, like it's not going anywhere. So depending, so some, if your path to the Cloudflare took that central link, you couldn't get to Cloudflare. If it was taking another provider, you might have been. That's crazy. Like I can go into a bit more detail, but yeah. <laughs> it's, and it just meshes out so much more. Yeah. 
that's hectic. So like I, I, I've done a little bit of research, but for me, you know, the marketing guy, um, my network knowledge is, is fairly limited. Um, but what really struck me was the, the scope of this thing, right? So I read a Cloudflare blog that said um, that by their measurements, um, they, that um, there was a drop in global internet traffic. So all internet users, if I'm reading this correctly, there was a 3.5% drop in global internet traffic just from this one incident, which would make this obviously, as I mentioned at the start, one of the biggest internet outages ever. So do you have any information about who else was affected? Like, and, and you know, what, like what, when someone was affected by this outage, yep. like what's the effect on them? So in plain, we can basically, yeah. So we can basically clarify them, like classify them into two different areas. So uh, category A, where you're using CenturyLink as your provider, either for transit or something else. And category B, you actually are not related to CenturyLink at all, but the service that you're trying to get to, they use CenturyLink for their transit. So if you're in category A. Uh, you have a device, uh, you use them for internet, well, you're, you're out of luck. Uh, it's down, it's coming up and down, there's like very differences, you try to move to a different provider, but because the way this incident happened, because generally speaking, when you do failovers, it's like if a session to a provider goes down, you move to another one. This one was coming up and down, up and down, up and down. So your automatic failover mechanisms would be just going crazy. So you had to do a lot of, in, in this case, a lot of, a lot of time you had to manually do it. The thing was, this was early morning Sunday. Uh, networking teams are quite bare bones on early hours of Sunday morning. Uh, so there's that. The other one is like, say you, you are, you and I, so we're not directly affected by CenturyLink because we don't use their services directly, but I, you and I do use services who have CenturyLink as a provider or who connect to CenturyLink. Uh, it can be Cloudflare in this case, uh, Microsoft, like Amazon, uh, even Ride Gaming. Uh, I actually found about this actually outage uh, from a colleague of mine, Bart. I think he's been on the podcast before. So he told me like, ah, first he messaged me, oh, Cloudflare is down. I can't get to Cloudflare. I was like, okay, um, they might be having some issues. Then he said, ah, major issue. Uh, I can't see League of Legends games. It's like the major tournament is happening for the world qualifiers and the servers are down. And that's when the alarm bells real go, really go exactly. off. Exactly. Like that's when League of Legends. Yeah. <laughs> that's when it goes a cold red. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like they had to run their matches on other servers uh, with other players and like had to do like weird sort of workarounds. Mm. But that's category B. So we're using a provider who is using CenturyLink for their transit or other services. And in that case, even though you're not directly affected, but you can't get to that particular service. So is it likely, that's why is it likely that they would have um, had to do some kind of manual, like providers who are in that category B, is it likely they'd have to do some kind of manual intervention to bypass them or is it? Uh, in your category B, you, you can't really do much yeah. because it's out of your hands. In category A, you can fail over to someone else. You can do something else. But in B, you're connecting to a third party. That third party has to deal with whoever the offending uh, party is in this case, right? And you can't do anything about it. You just wait. <laughs> Either if 
if a particular service can be redirected somewhere else, possibly. Mm. But in general, most cases, that's not on you. Your third-party vendor is directing the traffic, or like okay, using dynamic DNS to take you to somewhere else, and you're dependent on them. That's crazy. And so, uh, you know, um, how did I guess? So we've talked about how you might like do work a, do a workaround if you're category A. But how did how was the actual issue resolved? Was it something that CenturyLink did? Is it something that, you know, other providers did? How, how did that all play out in terms of resolving this issue? It's interesting. So generally speaking, obviously, in, if a provider is having issues, uh, it's up to the provider. But because the way the issue actually spread, they started losing connectivity to their own devices. So in a very unprecedented uh, move, which I've never really seen happen, they started going to contacting other providers who they peer with and told them to stop, shut down their sessions to CenturyLink. Like we can't do much, like we are struggling to get onto our own devices. You just stop connecting to us for a short period and then we'll rebuild all the services. And like, I've never heard of that before. Like you can possibly one provider, you can might, if you're having an issue, you you might go to that particular one, but go to all your peers and say, stop talking to us. Like we're in the middle of a shit show, really. Like just do whatever. Just don't send traffic this way while we try and sort this out. That's mental. I, mean, I did read on quite a few of the articles talking about this around how much of a big deal that was for, um, for a, a tier one provider to just to say, leave us alone, please. Yeah. And another thing as well, like you said, like it affected like, 3.5% of the bandwidth essentially goes, traffic goes down. Mm-hmm. But like I said, category those sort of things can't really measure. So they were impacted in this as well. So this goes above that 3.54% of traffic. Like that's just the traffic which was directly affected, right? But what are the people who were indirectly affected, who were customers of customers, who people who were using that? So the impact certainly becomes a lot larger than on paper. Crazy. Um, so what, what does this incident like tell us about the nature of the internet or the nature of networks? Like what, what can we learn about the internet from this, from this issue? Well, the internet works the way it is because it's so interconnected, right? But in cases like this, it can also come back and sort of bite you. Uh, But that's something which you need to consider as well. Uh, Obviously this is like such an extreme example, but it's still, uh, raises a point that you want to have like proper diverse diverse upstream providers to make sure okay like if you're going for like providers make sure that the other one is doesn't really isn't really reselling you the same thing uh, so on and so forth like the old code like, like to paraphrase like uh, no man is an island you can say like no enterprise is an island like we're all part of the internet whole so in cases like this when something else happens even if you're not if you're not using CenturyLink or you're not using the provider in this case, that ISP, just because of the interconnected way that everything's set up, you can still be affected and things just might be out of your hands. You can try and do as much to prevent these issues from happening. Obviously, some cases you can't, but it always helps to have like the most diverse and solution that you have and have your DR solutions ready as well. So in case something does go down, what next? like business continuity (laughs) yes exactly um well 
look, that was really interesting. Uh, but I don't know if I've been as interested in um, networking as I have after listening to you and, and, and learning more about this issue. It's um, for me, it, it really paints a, a pretty, um, you know, there's some, fr- there's a fragility to the internet that um, if you don't understand the inner workings and then how to, how to make it work for you, um, you know, uh, introduces a lot of risk to the business, you know, and particularly if, if, if there's, you know, when you're dealing with upstream providers that you might not even know about um, uh, and you can't, you know, necessarily contact, you know, that, that's a real risk. Whereas, so I think having that knowledge about where your internet traffic is actually going, how it's being used, who's, who are your suppliers, who are their upstream suppliers, um, really paints a picture of how important that is. It does. And we look at it slightly different to most companies as well, because we're looking at it as uh, from an enterprise perspective, from a management perspective, but we're also, we're also an ISP, right? So most cases, an enterprise doesn't really care what ha- what's happening upstream. It's the ISP's case in, in that case. So the seed of like connecting to the global internet, they just, they just have a sim- single uplink to their ISP. And then their ISP is connecting to the wider internet. So that's why like we're interested in both aspects of it. Uh, the counterpoint is like the internet has spread so much because it's so easy to like connect into it and uh, set it up, right? But it's, sometimes it can be like a double-edged sword in this case, where obviously your even an issue which is outside of your spectrum can affect you in drastic ways. Mm-hmm. Thanks for listening to the latest episode of The F Team. You can find us on all the major podcast platforms, including Apple, Google, and Spotify. The video is also available on our website, ftpl.com.au. If you have any questions about anything you heard today, please reach out to us via the website. See you next time.